1: Hello. Hello.
0: Welcome back.
1: (laughs) Uh, We disappeared for a bit, a long time. We just got busy. Personal
0: reasons. Not even personal reasons, professional reasons. Yeah, we just got
1: busy. Our day job took over uh, and meant that we didn't have time for this, Uh, which is sad. We missed you. Um, Yes, we did. But it's nice being back. We're back. Yes. Um...
0: What are we talking about today? What are we
1: talking about today? We talking about trans bathrooms. <laughs>
0: trans bathrooms, gender neutral bathrooms.
1: Trans identities, gender, race.
0: A little bit of race at the end. Yes,
1: identity basically. Yeah. And space. Yes. Mm. Context, Hannah.
0: Well, this was inspired um, by, as most things are, by mm. a friend posting an interesting article on social media. Yesterday. Um, It was a very short op-ed piece written by a trans author um, writing...
1: I think the author identifies as genderqueer.
0: Yes, genderqueer.
1: Non-binary, yeah.
0: Non-binary. And they they mention how, according to their trans-friendly policy at work, Hmm. they are often identified by others as being trans or having... Similar needs as trans people um, and the the limitations that this places on them and
1: and the the limitations was the, the article fra- framed it in terms of of the choice discourse <clears throat> so um, they made reference to uh, the previous u s administration under Barack Obama policy of uh allowing Students to go to whichever bathroom they they chose uh, or they identified with. As feeling most As comfortable. As feeling most comfortable with, that was the, the, the language used. Um, and this author said, responded by making the, the very, uh, very astute uh, claim that that implies there is one that you feel comfortable with in a choice of two. Uh, and made the case that what is actually needed is gender-neutral bathrooms.
0: And that all bathrooms yes. should be gender-neutral. Yes. Um, and the there's a quite a bit here about identity, how identity works. Um, also, I mean, this is in the news now, because, of course, the Trump administration has been very vocal about... Mm. Um, repealing hmm. a lot of the legislation that the that under the Obama administration, a lot of states put into place, um, particularly to protect trans students. Um, this is about it. Really, hmm. is about schools forcing hmm. students to use certain bathrooms and not allowing students to use bathrooms and, that they would rather use. And the
1: conservative rhetoric is. Um, does the thing which conservative rhetoric often does, which is to appropriate progressive discourse to do with safe spaces, right? So the yes. part of the argument is this is needed in order to allow women to have safe spaces in women's only bathrooms, and trans women shouldn't be allowed in there because, according to this rhetoric, they're not really women.
0: Yes, the extreme conservative rhetoric yeah. um, also filters into certain certain strands of, very vocal feminism yes we've we've um, spoken
1: about this strand this of feminism before yes the turf uh, lobby uh, trans exclusionary radical feminist group yes Groups.
0: um they often call themselves radical feminists yes um, which of course does us no favors no. Um, when we want to use the term radical to describe mm, yeah. um, far out of the mainstream but um this idea of safety particularly the safety of women right the sort of victorian value of Mm. women and children first um that women are always in danger Mm. bathrooms are one of the few places that they are safe um around the time that because certain states of course if you for those of you who aren't american or haven't spent any time in in the u.s the way that american law works Mm. um is it's part of our federal structure, so in certain states, this is not an issue. Um, and in parts of certain states, this is not an issue. Um, in other states, this is a this is a, a very, very serious, contentious issue. So it really depends where you are mm. in the us. Mm. And there were a number of states, particularly in the South, where this became a hot topic really um i can only imagine Mm. what katie hopkins
1: would say you you got stories of self-appointed vigilantes standing outside yes
0: self-appointed vigilantes asking people to identify Mm. their gender before they can go into a Mm. restroom Mm. cops that the video of a cop asking a woman to leave a women's restroom because he didn't think that Mm. she looked feminine enough
1: yeah. Um, I think we've spoken about this as well yes, in previous episodes. I think that particular incident yes. we talked about yeah. because
0: it w- was really and it still yeah. is a really yeah. shocking story. Yeah. Um, I mean it's like we, I, even before you get to the politics mm. of it and any sort of kind of rights discourse mm. or like mm. Mm. Dec- even even before you get to the human decency discourse, mm. the kind of who has the time and input incl- like why care mm. that much? How can you who? Why care that much mm. to stand outside a, a public restroom mm. and ask the people going mm. in what their gender is? And you
1: know, it's it's not like the the, the far-right Republicans in America have a, a particularly dodgy record on protecting women's rights. You know, the, the, <laughs> it's not that they're known for that, are they?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in the era of Brock Turner... Yes. Um, you, you know, it is... Laughable, yeah. Um, if you have any sort of critical thinking skills, it's it's laughable and also you know makes you want to cry. This is now in the news again because um, the Trump administration has been very vocal, mm. and there is a, a grassroots online social media movement: um, protect trans kids mm. um, and protect trans people, mm. and it's. Um, There's also the very high profile case headed to the Supreme Court that the ACLU mm. um, has put forward. They've they've taken um it's Gavin Grimm. Gavin Grimm is the um the plaintiff and he is a trans student. Um and he achieved a certain amount of fame when it was at was Laverne Cox who mm. um mentioned him at mm. An awards show. this is mm. where my pop culture knowledge fails me. Um, but Gavin Grimm is the ACLU's plaintiff mm. at the moment mm. and he's going to the Supreme Court and he's he's a really interesting kid. I mean just mm. the the kind of his his maturity and his mm. willingness mm. to mm. sacrifice himself mm. for mm. Um, the rights of trans kids is very admirable mm. and his family support so that story is you know part of this kind of bigger. Um, debate in the U.S. right now about bathrooms. The, what I found really interesting mm. about this article was a brief discussion about design mm. and architecture. Um, because as a geographer, and having just written mm. um, a conference presentation about um, the space of the courtroom and how applied scientific knowledge gets... Mm appropriated by um, political agenda and ideology when it enters a courtroom um, I found this very interesting the idea of the design of a bathroom mm, mm. as facilitating um, safety yes. so the this article takes the the argument takes the conservative idea of, of women's safety mm. turns it on its head um, and says that it isn't it isn't Men's and women's mm. restrooms that create safety mm. in fact the the fact that trans people don't feel comfortable using bathrooms mm. and the gender queer people don't feel comfortable using any bathroom on mm. offer means that the bathroom itself needs a redesign yes. and that it needs to bathrooms would function better mm. if they were designed mm. differently and the architecture mm. of the bathroom yeah. functioned differently yeah. And this is absolutely true.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I thought about when I, I mentioned to you when we when we were discussing the article earlier on uh, is the article talks about, essentially talks about, I think, two different models of gender-neutral birth forms, as if they are the same. And I'm not sure they are. So uh, the article talks about separate... Uh, cubicles so you go into a large bathroom and then you have separate stalls uh, as one model of gender neutral bathrooms uh, and the other and the,
0: uh, in the article the author uses um, the college dorm bathroom yes, right as the example. exactly
1: as the example of, of a safe space a safe bathroom uh, that anyone could use that you didn't have to yeah. you, you didn't have to publicly declare Agenda that you identify with in order to use that particular workflow. And I've been wondering since I read the article uh, whether there's a whether the other model, which seems to me is different, which is to have separate rooms rather than separate cubicles part of a larger room, uh, as one that would be safer, if you like. Um, so essentially we are talking about the the difference between having an outer door that allows you entry into a room where there are lots of cubicles and you take away that outer door and then you just have lots of you know, smaller rooms all lining in, in one corridor. And it's, it's fascinating to me the effect of changing the design to that extent where you just take out one door. Yes, and then that that changes the space completely.
0: Yes, well, there's there's cultural assumptions here. Um, certainly, working as a warden and in in student dorms in Saint Andrews, yeah. you know, we've we've both done mm. this, and mm. e- We had special halls. Yeah. We had specific self-contained flats. Mm. For example, for um, Muslim women, mm. for students mm. who opted, in, you mm. had to opt in. Mm. Um, you had to request these spaces but they had self-contained kitchens mm. um, and then each room had its own bathroom yeah. and and it was a flat made up of Muslim yeah. women. Yeah. Um, at Barnard we had there were flats mm. um, specifically for um, Orthodox Jewish students.
1: I I, I'm, I my halls of residence in London. I, I don't know if, if my university at the time had separate specific spaces for particular groups of that kind uh, I was in a, in a on a floor where there were gender neutral bathrooms uh, and it was that model where you go into the main bathroom and there are, lo- there are lots of stalls uh, lots of stalls both for toilets and then separately lots of stalls for shower cubicles yeah. um, but because you had that uh, sort of separate room as it were You'd have things like you know people would would take their clothes off and put a towel on to go into the cu- to the cubicle. Um, you know we're we're going more graphic than perhaps we need to here, but it just and I don't necessarily think I thought this through at the time, but the the privacy that affords safety gets taken out of the cubicle into the space outside. Yeah. And because it gets taken out of the cubicle into the space outside, it then no longer remains private.
0: Yes. Hence why the, um, the debate about women's safety, the kind mm. of conservative yes. position about women's safety. There's an assumption that inside the bathroom, mm. there is a still, it, it is still a public sphere. Yes. Um, and the bathroom itself is still a version of the public mm. arena in which women's identities are still at play and women are socializing with each other in a particular way.
1: Yeah. So the building where we work now, where I work now rather, has gender-neutral bathrooms, gender-neutral toilets, um, with no outer door. So it is a room on its own with a sink and a toilet.
0: Similar to a a disabled accessible toilet.
1: Yes, yes. Um, and the politics of that is fascinating as well. That yeah, disabled, we'll get to that. Yeah, disabled toilets are much more often that model. Yeah, and much more often gender neutral. Um, you know, the the degendering, the desexualizing rather of, yeah. of disabled people. Well, this is, is,
0: I mean, the women's safety. The hmm. the implied women's safety is sexual yeah. assault. It's yes. protecting women from specifically sexual crimes. Yes,
1: because so the the, the conservative argument is that trans women are not women, they're men pretending, and they're pretending in order to get into women's bathrooms to sexually assault women.
0: Which is, why not just break into a women's bathroom uh, and anyway, sexually assault yes. women the way that rapists do? Because... <laughs> or,
1: you know, just do it at home.
0: Yeah, or just find another place. Yes. If, you know... Which, of course, you know, there's the, it intersects with rape yeah. culture here, where yeah. that's not how rape works. No. And yes. that's not how sexual assault works. Yes. Um, so of course it is a fundamental misunderstanding and deliberate, misunderstanding, mi- deliberate yeah. misunderstanding of how how rape happens yes yeah. and um, I mean if if i if someone wants to rape someone else in the in a bathroom you don't need to be trans to do it no and the that has absolutely nothing to yeah. do with the choice to rape someone yes. behind a dumpster. If yeah. you're Brock Turner, yeah. allegedly, yes. no, 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 he he was, he was convicted. He did it. Yeah, he did it. Um, and the it seems like a lot of effort to go to to make up the story that trans people are a danger, specifically trans women are a danger in a women's restroom
1: it's so this reminds me a little bit of a theorist who I think I find the most difficult of all the theorists I've read and that's Jacques Lacan and oh, Lacan's that's saying something yeah I I, I I really struggle with Lacan yeah um and Lacan uses the example of signs on the toilet doors gentlemen and ladies um as
0: so civilized
1: as a Uh, as a sign that isn't really about the door you know it's a sign on a door but isn't it isn't about the door um so this is going to lacan's use of caesarean semiotics yep um and the difference between the signifier and the signified do you want to do a quick signifier signified
0: yeah this is um it's structuralist language yes. theory. It's about um, the way that language constructs reality, basically. Yes. Um,
1: so you have the you have uh, the word tree, and you have the concept of a tree, uh, and together, the, so the signifier is the is the word tree, the signified is the concept of the tree, and put together, you have the sign. Which is the word and, word and the concept together, and Sussure argues that the world is constructed through a system of signs, um, and and this this becomes a, a science of signs essentially, which is known as semiotics. Um, and Lacan develops this, turns it into a different in, into a, a a different direction, where he says the relationship between the signifier and the signified. Is also a relationship of law giving. You know, law is constructed through language, uh, so language helps to set up rules through which we live and in which we live. Uh, and one of the ways, one of the examples he, he gives about uh, l- the way in which language language sets up rules is Dorit-san's. Um And if we apply that to this particular story then what seems to be is... The, to, to go back to answer your question about why care, you know, why do these conservatives care so much? Because in in choosing to use a different bathroom from the one that the law, the language, the law insists that you should, you are disobeying the, the system, rules. you're disobeying mm-hmm. the rules.
0: And you're undermining the security that is assumed to accompany everyone following yes the, mm-hmm. the
1: stability and orderliness of the world um you are refusing the you're refusing the subjecthood that is being constructed for you on your behalf through this language through this word so if you as as a as a human body if you are walking through a door that has the word male written on it, then in that act of walking, you are recognizing and accepting your masculine subjecthood. You are being constructed as a male body, as a male subject. Yes. Yes. And if you you are not identified by society as male... And you choose to walk through that door, then you are refusing society's uh, construction of yourself. I think.
0: Yeah, and it's not—it's not just about y- yourself as an individual. No. Yes, there's a, an issue of scale here, yes. where and bathrooms are are particularly good example mm. of this because. Of a sort of Victorian mm. se- Victorian tendency to sexualize all biological processes, even if they aren't mm. sexual mm. at all, um, where it's not just your own identity; it is your identity in relation to everyone else, yes. and um, particularly because sexual activity often Im- involves other bodies, the bathroom becomes a place where the pseudo sexual or the seemingly sexual activity Mm, mm, of going pee mm, or washing your hands mm, becomes a question, not just about your identity, but your identity in relation to others, which I guess is where feminists, turf feminists mm, also feel that their identities mm, as Radical women trying mm. to dismantle patriarchy mm. are also undermined because
1: so I think that's right so then the question becomes does we've, we've talked about how the way we occupy space and the way we use space helps construct identity narratives for ourselves right so the using particular spaces gen- helps to gender us, us as, as human beings. Yeah. Um. So which comes first? Like, does the... To go back to the example of, you know, something as simple as taking the outer door off changes the space completely and then you get gendered in different ways.
0: Yeah, or extending cubicle walls, or extended to, cubicle extend walls to, the to to the ceiling. To the, to the, and the ceiling room.
1: and to the floor, so it becomes a room. Um, does this type of design and the issues raised by architecture and 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 space design as it were does this originate from our conception of gendered identity or does our conception of gendered identity come from the way in which we design space
0: um i would imagine that it's both hmm. um that the way that our identities have have kind of developed since you know modern identities Mm. came into being late what is this late 18th century Mm. early 19th century is where Foucault puts Mm. this um that that is also when space was changing quite dramatically Mm. so you have from a kind of medieval um medieval open plan Mm. space where everyone eats and sleeps Mm. and um you know, shits and has sex in the same room, a Mm -hmm. big massive great hall type Mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. Eventually, as the Enlightenment takes off um, and as um, certain kinds of social practices and social relationships develop, um, you start to see the divisioning of the partitioning of domestic space Mm -hmm. and public space. um, The creation of certain um hierarchies of space so um for example like if you visit any of these um kind of renaissance palaces or castles Mm. um there's a a far more complicated Mm. and nuanced Mm. system whereby a lay person accesses the monarch you know this kind of space becomes more and more divisible Mm. um to monitor more complicated social relationships and social relationships become more and more complex um and this reflects changes in in the domestic sphere Mm. um and it starts to reflect changes in how children and Mm. women and men relate to each other in in a Mm. home setting and domestic setting um and it mimics the Victorian kind of public private Mm. differentiation Mm. and that's and so the architecture and the social relationships are Althusser would say interpolated that they get kind of mapped on or stitched Mm. into each other and so there's a a play Mm. um an interplay between them um geographers do a lot of work Mm. about the spaces in which certain things Mm. happen Mm. so there's um is a really interesting book about the spaces of scientific discovery. So yeah. thinking about the particular social and physical setup mm. of a laboratory, for example, um, this is really relevant, you know, c- kind of on an everyday basis, right? This is the story of mm. hidden figures. Yeah. This, this movie yeah. that who can access mm. certain kinds mm. of spaces of expertise, mm. um, how spaces of expertise are constructed in order to facilitate the promotion of certain kinds of people over others, mm. this sort of thing, and that the actual physical space is is at play with the social relationships. So it's, I mean, it. I think it depends on how you want to conceptualize it more than which came first.
1: But it's always about bathrooms.
0: It is, isn't it?
1: I mean, you know, Hidden Figures does that as well, right? Hidden Figures is is about
0: bathrooms. Um, I mean, segregation, the story of segregation. The bathroom issue is such an important one. Um, And things like the water fountain. There is a kind of...
1: It's It's the embodied, the places where we... And, you know, food contas and restaurants and
0: yeah and that of course you know that that isn't just a kind of american yes. or an anglo context no, there's no. a whole yes. other um way of conceptualizing spatial differentiation yes. around bodies mm. in other parts of yeah. the world certainly Absolutely. in india um but it is the the bathroom is a fascinating question mm. i like the gender neutral concept because I like the design and when I'm in a gender, a a very successful gender Mm. neutral bathroom where there's a sink and a mirror and a toilet and all the facilities that I could possibly need if I am changing a tampon and there is a clean receptacle for me to throw away my tampon Mm. and there is space for me to Mm. do all the things I need to do a hook to hang my bag. Mm. Um, and there's, Nobody else Mm. who can see any aspect of what Mm. I'm doing. Mm. Mm. That is the most liberating and safe
1: kind of space
0: for obvious reasons. This isn't a, you know, it's not a particularly radical
1: argument to make. I'm just thinking the the one, you know, as always, we, we preface everything by saying this comes from, you know, who we are and where we live and what we do and stuff. I, as far as I can tell, just thinking to the building I work in, I think our let's loose, whatever word you want to use, qualifies under the criteria that you've just set up. The one thing that I've never, and I've seen other places that you know they're rare, but they do exist, where where you have this the the you know the gold standard safe gender neutral space. I've never seen one with. Either with both tampon and condom vending machines.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: I I don't think I've ever seen one.
0: In terms of a gender-neutral one. Yes, that's really interesting. Um, you do see them in women's.
1: You see, the, yeah.
0: In women's. And, bathrooms. You, and you
1: certainly see condom vending machines in men's bathrooms.
0: Yeah, and then of course you see there's a whole host of other issues around yeah. bathrooms here. There's the the changing room issue, which of yeah. course Ashton Kutcher has made. Yeah. Has made popular, yes. if you know, if you are a dad and you have to change your kid's diaper, or this if you locker room, yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, it was going to come up at some point. The locker room was made famous in twenty sixteen. The
0: locker room, oh yeah, the locker room needs to die a death, doesn't yes. it? That, but I find it quite interesting that the the way that the to go back to the choice issue, because mm. um, I think we'll come back to this in our next episode. This is, we forgot to mention, this Mm. is sort of a loose two-parter for us on gender. Mm. Um, The next one will be a bit more about mainstream feminism, Mm. white feminism as some people like to call it. But there is, there are links here with the question of choice that Mm. the bathrooms are what they are. Yeah. That it doesn't, the bathrooms are, are value neutral and that they are, the kind of stage upon which your choices get made which is
1: which is sort of Lacan's point that yeah. it, it's it's the, the signifier men or, or women does not affect the signified because the signified is the same you know yeah. the door the doors are identical the tree is a tree the,
0: whether it is called a tree or not
1: yeah but it's the, this is the other way around yeah almost um, and it, it, he's sort of loosening the 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 Oppressive binary between the signifier and the signified. Yeah, uh, and making the point that it is, you know, it the signifier has regulatory power. Yeah. Um, yes,
0: yeah. and that the the bathroom itself is kind of a blank slate, or it's a sort of.
1: Yes, but it, isn't it fascinating that in the in the journey from the, you know first years of post-structuralism, where Lacan is working, to today, we've gone from regulation to choice.
0: Yes. Which I think is really fascinating because, in the end, choices always get made within a particular set of yes. conditions. Yes. And choices get made within what I would argue are a set of regulatory conditions. Mm. And so ultimately, the choice is still a men's room or a women's room. Yes. And there is no um, room for critiquing the room itself, the bathroom itself, mm. and thinking yes. about, you know, a structural or a radical change might come about with a design change. Um, a sort of a change in technology, or mm. thinking about mm. the space itself, and this is—it's quite interesting that that this isn't really part of the the discourse here, mm. because it is a fundamental part of disability discourse. Mm. For example, mm. um, the idea that that space mm. can be changed and manipulated through technology mm. and mm. through innovative design to facilitate any sort of activity, Mm, no mm. matter the shape of your body or Mm. the abilities that you have, that that is, you know, it's this disabling society Mm, concept. mm, And mm. that is a a really important piece of, certainly in geographical work on disability.
1: Mm.
0: But gender is not framed that way.
1: Mm.
0: Gender is framed more in terms of, individual choices that you make in Mm. order to feel that the choices you make match with an identity that you Yes. have, that you are performing, that you are living, that you experience.
1: And race is not framed in that way. Yes. Either.
0: Race is framed very differently. Yes. In some ways.
1: Um, Even though, you know, you could... Okay, perhaps... I mean... There are certainly ways in which bathrooms can be raced. You know, there there are signs, I've, I've noticed signs in in Western European bathrooms that um, tell you not to squat on the mm-hmm. on the toilet. So particular toileting practices race you,
0: and also it's just in Singapore yeah. that is also a feature yeah, yeah. in certain parts of Asia.
1: Yeah. Um, but if we are thinking of spaces that race you, borders, you know, borders race you in, um, in ways that are so... And, and we've, we've spoken about this before, um, the way in which the the infrastructure, the industry, the bureaucracy of crossing or not crossing borders. Um, I've recently applied for a visa to go to America. I'm going to go to America over the summer and the visa application process was so weird and so bizarre i had went to london for an interview and what the most bizarre thing about it was the visa officer was the nicest person you i could have hoped for and she, she asked me what seemed like completely um you know benevolent banal questions had had done, didn't seem to have any kind of hostility of any kind Except I was terrified throughout it. It was one of those moments of realization where you sort of you you realize that there can be no pleasant version of this experience. Yeah. Because by entering into that experience, I'm being raised in a certain yeah. way, above and beyond how I'm being treated by this individual human being.
0: Yeah. You can't separate. There's a question of scale here hmm. that I think has been a ab- Kind of, a, I think it was a part of a lot of feminist and, mm. and um, mm. gender discourse mm. that has been. Um, I think it's been muted a bit. It's mm. been um, neutralized to a certain extent. That there is that as an individual,
1: mm.
0: you have an individual identity, but that that identity is tied to a collective identity. Yes, and that there is both individual experiences of prejudice and oppression as well as and that that is filtered through collective experiences and collective instances and systems of oppression that they are related yes. and they're not always the same no. and often you know you know yeah. people always talk about how an individual experience mm. doesn't map on to mm. A a narrative about a community, for example, Mm. you know that's that's a very common Mm. story. But the idea that they both exist, and that you can't Mm. be fully individualized when we very
1: rarely, certainly in mainstream discourse, talk about the collective experience of gender.
0: Exactly. Not anymore. Anyway. Not
1: anymore. And I think this is where. So we've been talking about this a lot over the last few months. It seems like the Rachel Dolezal case. Um, this lady. So if you haven't followed her story, Rachel Delizal, uh the story came to came came to prominence about a year ago. Multiple. This year. No
0: years ago, right?
1: I think it first. She's
0: had like three fifteen minutes of fame. <laughs> She just keeps coming uh, back.
1: She does keep coming back. She was uh, when it first when she first emerged. She was the local branch president of the NAACP an NAACP um, in Spokane um, in, Washington, think, yeah, in Washington. In Washington I think, state. I think, I think you. I don't know how you pronounce so- it. Yes, yeah, Spokane. Spokane. Um, and while in that role thanks to a private investigator hired by the local police who she was annoying by being the president of the NAACP um, it was emerged that she was born white and she has since gone through various stages of uh, claim of, of claiming her identity she has all, since then has always insisted that she is not white she is black that even though she was she might have been born white, that does not stop her from being able to call herself black. She has since taken on what she can calls an African name. She does not she does not go by Rachel Dolezal anymore, and she's published a ghost-written biography called In Full Color. Now the reason why I've been slightly obsessed with the story and I've been using it in teaching is that. I think this this com- comes to the heart of the point we were making about the difference between gender and race. Because I, pretty much every opinion piece I've seen about the story, including both of our opinions, I think, is we are very, very suspicious of her claiming the right to be called black.
0: Yeah, there's a there's features of of cultural appropriation. Yes, exactly. Um there's there's features of, of blackface and yes. minstrelsy yes. a kind of
1: So there's a, a very long tradition of cultural appropriation and uh violent silencing. Um the the thing I always come back to is and she's brought this up as 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 well herself in her own discourse, is Why would we, presumably both of us and most people we know, would be perfectly happy to allow her the right to call herself whatever gender she felt like. Yeah. But we don't think she has the right to call herself whatever race she feels like. And as far as I've seen, most of the story, most of the the response has centered around privilege. In other words, by choosing to call herself black, she hasn't given up on white privilege. But how is that different from the turf argument, which we all agree is transphobic and uh and uh backward uh, backward looking. Yeah, old fashioned. Old fashioned. Because the turf argument for male to female trans people yeah, is, they use that those kinds of is that they haven't given up male privilege. You can't just give up male privilege by choosing to call yourself female. Yeah. That's their argument. The idea
0: that uh uh woman who transitions Mm. before she transitioned, Mm. whether or not she felt like she was a woman, other people would confer upon her male privilege.
1: Yes. And she doesn't give that up by transitioning. Yeah. How is that different from white privilege?
0: It's a it's this is a has been a conundrum for us for years. Um And I always hope every time that this happens, every time Dolezal (laughs) appears in the news, that we cannot... That she will disappear quickly enough.
1: That we we won't have
0: to think about it. Mm. And then six months later, she'll reappear for some Mm. reason. And you'll say, we need to discuss Dolezal on the podcast. (laughs) And um, we're doing it now. Mm. And it is. this is a conundrum, and it still is. And I think we're... we're at a work in progress here because it's really difficult to deal with the even just the question of how do we identify her mm. because she has she's she has expressed a wish to be called some a different name.
1: Yes, we both feel very uncomfortable at using that name
0: and using it. Yes, because it's an instance of
1: cultural Appropriation,
0: appropriation.
1: but we wouldn't feel uncomfortable had for example had she decided to change religion yep you know yep and and let's say she decided to become Muslim and take on an Islamic name yep we wouldn't feel uncomfortable calling her that
0: yep Cat Stevens yep yeah. you know we now call him Yusuf yeah, Islam
1: exactly um Muhammad Ali yep I'm, I mean there's Obviously, yeah, the race there's, context there's, context is different, but and
0: there's a trajectory, yeah. and it is, and and with Caitlyn Jenner, yeah. for example, yes, contemporary um, trans discourse, um, the norms in trans discourse asks that we refer to Caitlyn Jenner as, as Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner for oh, the entirety of her life, for the entirety of her life. So, so to do refer not use to a dead name, yeah, yeah, and to refer to all of her achievements using yes the name Caitlyn jenner yes. and that all makes sense yeah. to me why yeah. yeah and um you know and we do our best to
1: to abide to abide yeah.
0: yeah it's not that hard no um so why
1: why are we so uncomfortable
0: w- yeah what is the deal and i the privilege element is there she's so some people say that she's profiting. Yes. That she's a job and a career that has that a a, a black woman would have if she didn't have yes. it. Yes. Yes. And so there's that. That's there the, is that. that's privilege. That's um, likely, I would say.
1: Yes. I mean, it's her defense is that the scholarship she had in Howard, which is a historically black, yep. university. Wasn't specifically targeting black students, yep. so she didn't have to declare a race uh, when she when she got that scholarship. Um, I don't think we would necessarily have a problem with white people studying, researching, teaching African American history.
0: Well, I'm white and I study partition
1: exactly. Um, and I you know I let you do it. Yeah.
0: Well, what it does do, and I think, so I think about this myself, um, is the number of white people that I meet, which is the majority of them Mm. who've never heard of partition and who are extremely ignorant about South Asian history. It's, it's better that we study it than not. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, we have less explaining to do if you study it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. But I, but one thing I don't do is I don't run around wearing a bindi, or claiming no, you don't. that partition is my partition, right. or claiming any sort of feeling of, of trauma by proxy.
1: No, but if you were to study masculinity studies and talk about your own masculinity, you'd, we'd all say you'd at perfect liberty to do that.
0: Yeah, if I... Yeah.
1: If that's what you wanted to do. I mean, I think I think that... So, we should be clear that a, a significant proportion of trans scholarship and trans activism rejects the, the discourse of choice. Yeah. So, uh, uh, someone who is trans doesn't choose to be trans. Yeah. Um, that, on the face of it, like pr- the privilege argument, doesn't seem to explain why... A white person can't say, "I'm not choosing to be black. I've always been black."
0: I feel like so. There's two. We've got two working arguments here. One mm. of which um, we basically are stealing from a friend. Yes, who, Dr. Katie
1: Muth, who made a brilliant point in a in a Facebook conversation with me, uh, where she talked about how patriarchy and racism and white supremacy works differently in terms of economics. So, if you are in a heterosexual relationship and your husband works and you don't, as a woman, patriarchy works to allow you to claim his assets, his economic privilege. Um, So, in that sense, patriarchy does not isolate women from capital yeah. in that particular sense uh, of course in other senses it does you know women's wages are lower and so on and so forth yeah but um, if, if
0: you follow the rules yes. if you get married yes. at a proper age and yes, you participate exactly. and yeah, you follow yeah, the yes. rules in the yes. way that you're supposed yes. to and and yes. live your gendered life the yes. way you're supposed to yes. then patriarchy confers upon you capital Yes, it protects you in that but way
1: white supremacy all does not allow the sharing of Capital from Whites to blacks
0: Yes, okay Which makes sense Um, Nyla Kabir, who's an academic Mm. at um, I think she's at LSE now um, She taught a course on gender and development Mm. When I was at SOAS And she said that That one of the the ways that she dealt with this Was gender is different Mm. And gender is fundamentally different Because Gender relies on the normalization mm. of the oppressor living with the oppressed mm. in a one to one sexual yes intimate yes and economic partnership yes and so the the and of course, you know, there's a, a whole history of, of sexual violence yes. committed against black women mm. and Aboriginal women. You know, this is that's part. But those aren't domestic normalized relationships. Mm. Those are relationships of power and dominance and ownership mm. in a way that the language of kind of a gendered relationship and a mm. sexual relationship mm. between mm. the genders is the opposite. Mm. Um, and that that is different, that mm. is fundamentally a distinct form of identity, mm. and that it works differently from race. And I think if you, when you add in the capitalist explanation, the, the mm. role of capital and where it mm. goes, mm. how patriarchy allocates it mm. versus how white supremacy allocates it mm it makes sense and it maps a bit and and Katie did she mentioned as well that Mm. the 53% yes 53% of white women who voted for Donald Trump Mm. um, who used a rhetoric that was very much about this kind of gendered old fashioned gendered
1: so is there a way then to compare the 53% of white women in America who voted for Trump with the I don't have a percentage, but anecdotally, certainly a significant proportion of British South Asians who voted for Brexit. It's
0: an interesting question. In other words,
1: if if we're by talking about the fifty-three percent of white of white women who are economically privileged enough and or you know. Uh, s- Persuaded by the system uh, in order to vote for a more violent form of patriarchy. Can that be compared to the conservative, raced immigrant, whether in Britain or America, who is prepared to vote for uh, more and more racist policies in the hope that it will only affect the next generation of racial others?
0: Or other kinds of others. Or other kinds of others. Different kinds yes. of others. It's an interesting question. I don't know. P- possibly, yeah. Hmm. To a certain extent, yes.
1: Um, I mean, I, I accept it doesn't happen. It doesn't have that, The to, to, to use the Nilekabue argument, it doesn't have that specific domestic intimate aspect.
0: Because a lot of the women but, who voted for Trump, right, they hmm. would talk about how their husbands and their sons
1: hmm.
0: um, were affected all these negative things that their mm. husband's job had been stolen mm. by an immigrant mm. or that their husband had been, you know, he'd lost his job and he'd been emasculated mm. by the, you know, mm. so it's white women rallying around men rather mm. than each other. Mm. And, um, it's white women on an individual scale mm. rallying around their own men. Yeah. Um, So, you know, the discourse of motherhood that, um, for example, Michael Brown's mother um, has mobilized Mm. in order to achieve some sort of justice for Mm. her son. Mm. um, There isn't a a feeling of connection Mm. there. Mm. Um, To explain the South Asian British votes for Brexit. I mean, I I would link that to a certain extent to Hindu nationalist tendencies and as class. well, right? There's a.
1: And, I mean, I, th- I think in both cases it's, um, you know, if you look at the average wage of the Trump voter, it. I mean, the 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 cliche that it's it's poor working class white people voting for Trump doesn't necessarily hold up. I don't have the figures yeah. off the top of my head. But there was a significant amount of privilege vote, you know, economic privilege voting for Trump.
0: Yeah, it was middle class. Yeah. There was a lot of middle class
1: who are not, you know, if you're if you're what, you know, seventy seventy thousand seventy thousand thousand dollars earning, uh, earning household. You, you know, you might not be rich, but you're not poor.
0: Yeah, and depending where you live, you're definitely you live. you're far above yeah. the poverty line.
1: Yeah, um, and the same for British, British Asians, I think. You know, yeah there's a there's a huge amount of class privilege so you're voting along class lines uh but it does reinforce the idea that it is difficult to formulate theoretically the differences between gender and race as lived experiences, yeah and there are these particular stories which are being one where the significance of the story is more than is about more than the story, because it for me anyway forces this fissure uh where we have to rethink our uh, our notions of how we conceptualize gender and race
0: I think it's a failure of theory yeah um and I've thought this for a long time because one of the the features certainly in in um kind of the last probably the last ten years. Um, but really, a lot. You know, this is a a long history of medicine mm. and science providing mm. um, not only safe spaces, but providing a discourse for trans people to to assist them in transition. Mm. That's only a, you know. There's a a piece of transition that has to do with medicine. Um, whether that has to do with hormones or whether that has to do with therapy and counselling. No, I, I um, think that's right.
1: I think we should also also say for the record that medicine is also, medical discourse is also implicated in a huge amount of, but I of think, violence. But part. I
0: think that, so yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. we need to mention that. But I think from our critical theory yeah. perspective and all the people who listen to this, that will be the position they're yes. coming from. yes. Already, the the Foucault position where Mm. medicine Mm. has forced gendered norms on people has pathologized gender identity and has pathologized sexual behavior. Mm. You know the um, the sort of righteous anger Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm, what mm -hmm, medicine mm -hmm. has done to people like Mm Alan Turing. You mm -hmm. know this kind of that story is we We know know that. What I think we haven't fully acknowledged is that there is an entire kind of wing of medical science Mm. that has developed to promote Mm. and assist transition and that has worked for Mm. um, more radical and more fluid Mm. forms of gender identity and to assist in allowing people to live the Mm. life they would like to live and to help people Mm. feel more comfortable, to manage things like hormones and you know so I I feel like this the demonizing of science here Mm. doesn't fully appreciate the fact that it is now science and Mm. not theory Mm. that is providing on a day-to-day basis the means for people to live it's that
1: scale thing again isn't it it's I'm just remembering while you were talking uh my my mother who I think we've spoken about my mother before who's a gynecologist.
0: She's pretty awesome.
1: And uh, she, for a significant part of her life, was a a gynecologist and obstetrician in the National Health Service in Britain. And she tells the story of one of of a consultant she worked with. This would have been at least in the 80s, perhaps earlier than that, but probably in the 80s, where they're talking about um, surgery uh, to compensate for ambiguous gender in, in babies. Um, and the consultant said how if you are going to operate on someone to make them male, as it were, then the marker of success is that you have to make sure they could be standing up. And obviously, that's so problematic in so many ways, looking at it from you know a critical theory informed position today. But again, it's that scale thing, right? If you, if you are going to bring someone up as male in a, a world where patriarchy and heteronormativity regulates gender, then the least you can do in terms of using science is to is to make that journey as easy as possible. Yeah. You know, if you're going to force someone to go down a particular gendered route through life, then science can be used to make that route possible and make that route more bearable.
0: Yeah, that's the yeah. And that is the the ultimate goal of science in a lot of cases. And a lot of scientists live with this this is their Hmm. this is how they operate. Yeah. And there's a kind of there's an emphasis on the role of science in making life better for people.
1: And More normal. The yeah. better being the closer to normal the, the better.
0: Yeah, or, well, so that's the, the kind of Foucault way yeah. of, of yeah. describing it, the language yeah. of abnormality. Um, there's a whole, I mean, I th- it's interesting because mm. of course, you know, we talk about science as being, mm. you know, part of it, it's, it is of its time mm. and, Um, But at the same time, I feel like right now, critical theory is not, we do not have a Mm. robust and nuanced and complex enough way of talking about identity. Topics, concepts like privilege and intersectionality Mm. do not work well enough Mm. because I don't think they are specific enough. The, as a geographer, I think that they don't deal with scale. Mm. They don't deal with with the issue of scale and relating individuals mm. to um, wider and also in some cases more narrow um, mm. arenas. And it doesn't act. It doesn't accurately and helpfully mm. place an individual within mm. a spatial context, either physically or socially. Mm. Whereas science. I think at this point, science now is doing a slightly better job. Sli- mm-hmm. Medicine is starting to realize that individuals and their health exist mm-hmm. in the context of social and economic factors. Mm-hmm. And so we have robust epidemiology and public health mm-hmm. agendas that are quite radical. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the, the fact that, for example, smallpox has been eradicated. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, that's science has has massive achievements yes, yes, on large scale yes and certainly you know some of the stories that um trans people tell publicly about mm. um being able mm. to live their life and and mm. successfully transition and um, a lot of that is a is a more kind of biological language yeah. it's a scientific language um
1: and we don't have the scientific. The, we, we've. The, the scientific technology has allowed us, as in the world of critical theory, to create language appropriate to describing transgender identities. But that scientific discourse does not exist for race. And therefore, we don't have the language to think about transracial and scare quotes identities.
0: Because it's a different. The science of race is very different. It's the science of eugenics and um, really scary stuff. Yes.
1: Because
0: the science of race Mm. is about de science, de pathologizing race. Yes. And making race unscientific, you know.
1: But we've had the same process with gender and sexuality in science.
0: But in terms Except of we're not de- doing it anymore. And in terms of decolonizing, yeah. this, they're, they require different processes. Yes. In the end, and I think mm-hmm. the big takeaway here is that black trans women and trans women of color generally mm. are far more likely to experience violence, to be assaulted, to be killed. To commit suicide, um, to make, commit suicide, yeah. to experience very severe yeah. mental health yeah. difficulties, um, to not be able to access health care um, and in the end, that is, I think, w- the driving force behind making any sort of change yeah. and pushing for social and legislative changes, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. because ultimately, that's the that to me trumps any other kind of. Um, you know, a turf argument.
1: Yeah. You know. And that argument, for whatever reason, reasons which we are not yet, we as in, you and me, I think, are not yet able to verbalize, that argument does not exist for race. That yeah. drive, that impetus, that urgency does not exist for race.
0: Yeah. Tell us in the comments <laughs> the answer.
1: Yes. Um, Usual thing, if you've liked us, liked it, let us know. If you haven't liked it, let us know. Uh, Next episode, we'll we'll carry on the identities theme and look at gender and feminism and mainstreaming of feminism. And uh, yeah, see you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick.
1: And I have been Anindya Richardry.
0: You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz.
1: And me at Dr. Anindya R.
0: Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be? Where would we be?